This is Journey with Care. We're in our series, Loving the Stranger Among Us. Isn't it ironic that Indigenous peoples who have roots on these lands and waters we now refer to as Canada are so often the ones who are marginalized? What happened? Why is this still a thing? Today, we're talking about the estranged Indigenous experience. And to culminate our series, we have a dear friend we've been looking forward to chatting with who gets the final word of this series. He can sing, he can preach, he can really hit a golf ball well. And today, Howard Jolly is in the house with content you won't want to miss. But before I introduce Howard, let me tell you about my friend Phil, who is making this series possible. So maybe you're a business owner or a nonprofit leader or navigating some really complex financial challenges Well, I've got some good news for you. Well, Phil's the guy that you want on your side. He's just financially savvy and really committed to helping others. Uh, He was a former board member of Care Impact, so I know firsthand that he really understands organizations and really wants them to thrive. Phil and his team at MMP specialize in analyzing valuable data and improved governance structures. So if you need financial planning or business development, accounting, and of course, tax planning, you really want to talk to Phil. Phil loves connecting with new people and your privacy is always top priority. So if you have something on your mind, give him a call for a free over-the-phone consultation at 204-336-6151. And while you're at it, thank him for making this podcast series possible. So when you think of finance, think of Phil. All right, now let's get back into the conversation. Howard Jolly, welcome to the podcast. Okay, good to be with you. Thanks for having me. So Howard... I know we've had your wife, Karen, here in the podcast studio before, and it's such a delight to have you. We're friends with you. And so now to introduce our friends to Canada is is a great pleasure. So, Howard, you were born in Waskaganish, Quebec, correct? We. Oui. We oui, okay. I, <laughs> yeah. You got me there because I don't have any French. <laughs> That's all I have. <laughs> okay. Your background is Cree, is it right? Yes, yeah, yeah. And you now currently reside in Niverville, Manitoba. And uh, you have two grown children. And I remember meeting you the very first time. Uh, we were both in seminary together at Providence Seminary. Yes. And yeah. we, we were in a class together, Promise and Covenant. Do you remember that? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I remember sitting in class with you, and that was uh, a very powerful experience. You've heard me say this before, but as we were talking about Promise and Covenant, you taught me probably the most that I ever learned in that class about reconciliation and covenant and treaties. And I had never made that correlation before until I sat student to student with you and learned from you, though. So I really appreciate that. That has always stuck with me. All right on. So, Howard, you are the executive director of the Indigenous Alliance Churches of Canada, and you're traveling a lot. Can you tell us a little bit more of what you do there? Well, I go to the Indigenous churches that are connected with the Alliance and then also, too, I go to Caucasian churches, too, and speak on issues that are connected to my people, talking about reconciliation, and the church seems to really have a desire to to do that well. One of the huge things is just to tell our stories and to hear the other person's story. It's just very powerful, because a lot of times uh, when you connect things that are with the government or even in connection to money issues like when we don't connect the things that need to be done with the lives of people and with the stories of people, 
I think we, we kind of get lost. In we can get disengaged, can't yeah. we? And right now we are in that series of loving the stranger among us. And that's exactly what we're talking about. How do we connect with people that are different from ourselves rather than just checking out and saying, oh, that's a political issue. That's an ideology or, or I don't deal with those kind of things. But yeah, you're right. When we hear people's stories, somehow we can be good neighbors in a better way to each other. And so you're doing that all across Canada. You're traveling a lot. What a privilege that we caught you in <laughs> Manitoba at this time. And you have just started a YouTube channel, and I would love for you to tell our audience about that and so that they can follow you because there's some really good content on there. I just had a, a desire to do an online uh, ministry. Like it started before with uh, the church that I was pastoring, First Nations Community Church in Winnipeg. When we were caught in COVID, you know, we had to do online. Well, we were kind of forced or maybe led to do online ministry. The things that I really desire is is for my people to really uh, connect with Jesus as he comes across in the scriptures. A lot of times uh, my people connect Jesus with colonization, assimilation, you know, residential schools, and just the impact of Western culture on the genocide of our culture and also to of our language. A huge negative impact on our identity too. So I wanted to to talk about Jesus in in a way that I really feel like he's understood in the scriptures. He is the one that that brings what we're looking for, what we're desiring, uh, the the peace, the unity. You know, even getting rid of the chaos and bringing life. I feel like he's the one that can bring that to us, and, and it, it seems like we're missing out on that. And so I'm trying to bring across the relevance of Jesus to our lives and to our circumstances. You know, like when you talk about the good news. You know, I really feel like to some people that when you say good news, they'll say, <laughs> good news for what? You know, I really feel like the what is really like a lot of the issues of our lives. I would say the, the anxiety that people have, you know, the dysfunction in their lives, addictions, uh, suicidal thoughts. What I love about what you bring is that you communicate through word and you're a very eloquent speaker but also through song, a gifted musician, and you also have led the Rising Above band. There's so many rich stories, and you bring your own story into it. It's not just kind of a Bible story that is removed from your own life. You're being able to share what Jesus has done for you and in you. So I want to encourage people to follow that. Come sit with me. It's a, the YouTube channel. It's called Come Sit With Me with Howard Jolly. Yeah, so I just thank you for that. And I just desire for, for people to really sense something good, something maybe that'll, you know, resonate with them and draw them to Christ. And today we have a lot of listeners from a variety of backgrounds. And we're coming together for this conversation, loving the stranger among us and learning how to neighbor well, becoming from a stranger to a good neighbor. And particularly today, what I'm interested in hearing from you is the estranged Indigenous experience of what estranges Indigenous people from others in the society that we have currently. Let's go back a little ways, as far back as you would feel comfortable with, but to tell us about your story growing up. First of all, on a positive side, what are some childhood memories that have made you feel belonging? I guess with my mom, probably one of the things, my first memories of life is, is my mom singing to me as a little boy and, and holding me in her arms. You know, it, that really gave me a real strong sense of, of belonging, just, just my mother's love and, and just feeling that through even all through the years. 
Uh, it's been a stabilizing thing in my life. And also, too, doing things with my dad, you know, hunting with my dad as a young boy and him taking me out goose hunting, you know, in the bay. Mm-hmm. And also, too, like uh, doing stuff with my friends uh, as a young boy, like in, in our community. Like we just had a real close-knit community, it seemed like, uh, with maybe about 10 families, like in, in our area. And, and we had a lot of fun as kids. So I think that connection to our neighbors was, was very good. What were some things that made you feel estranged or othered in your childhood or growing up? I think the whole residential school experience, I didn't realize that as a kid, but like when I thought back on it, maybe in my teens or in my 20s, I just realized the other feeling. You know, when I first went to residential school, there's a picture there. My first painting I ever saw was, uh, you know, on the top, all the people are bright and they're all white, you know. And then at the bottom, as you go down, it gets dark and all the people are kind of in pain and in agony and hell, and they're all dark. How old were you when you had that memory? Oh, probably a little over four and a half, maybe close wow. to five. Plus. Yeah. yeah, so I didn't realize how that impacted me. And yet your earliest childhood memories was when you were about that age too, and your mom singing to you. What a contrast. I'm just seeing that picture of belonging and feeling othered. Yeah, for sure. Being ripped out of your mom's arms to go to residential school, that must have been tough. I'm not sure if being othered would be connected to even like the way that I was being disciplined. I just felt like there was injustice in the way that I was being disciplined as a boy. I remember me and my friend in residential school both did the same thing wrong, you know, and the supervisor was just yelling at me, you know, and and there were just two of us there. And I think he was favored with the kids and I was kind of like the, the back sheep of the of the whole thing and and I was just thinking man like you're just yelling at me you know like there's two of us here and we both did the same thing wrong and yet all the yelling was was toward me and it was in front of all my peers like there's a lot, yeah. a lot of fears there so I, I really felt like ashamed of, of who I was like from that experience It's interesting as you're talking though you're conveying some very serious information but I can see some freedom in how you're saying it. You're still smiling, which I don't understand, (laughs) but God must have done a good healing with you because it's nothing to take light of. We've talked earlier about this too in the past, and and that has been a very deep part of your story. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, like I think sometimes, I, I like what they say, you know, even about trauma too, you heal more as you tell the story more. I've told the story with a lot of yeah. emotion before and a lot of pain too, but it seems easier to tell the more that you tell it. And I think there's more healing that happens as you're more free to open up. You're jumping ahead, but you're just giving me a clue on one way that we can neighbor well is to listen to people's stories. Oh yeah. Creating space for people to tell their stories is important for both you and I. Yeah, for sure. Once we meet that person and they and they tell their story, we sometimes it breaks down some barriers and also to uh, some wrong way of thinking about people. So just to hear stories, I think really helps us to understand people, and also too, I think it really helps to draw us close, close to people. And, and mm-hmm. you know, like I, I really believe in the dignity of humanity. There's something good in there, in all of us, and I just love the way that Jesus talks to people. You know, he just. He just kind of tells them something and it almost seems like, you know, the right thing to do, you know what the right answer is, you know? So I I feel like if we could hear each other's stories, I think it'll help to really 
build bridges. Recently, you drove through Saskatchewan near the unmarked graves. Can you tell me about that experience as a residential school survivor and you bringing music there and sharing with people? What was that encounter like for you? It was amazing. I actually made a concerted effort to go to the where the unmarked graves are in, in Cowes' Reserve, uh, 751 unmarked graves. You know, it's just a huge area and there's uh, little bears, you know, little crosses, little shoes, you know, and I was there and I was overlooking that, that space. You know, I felt like I was in a sacred space being on that land. And I just felt compelled to speak, you know, and I went to residential school as a little boy and I felt like I was, I was talking to children there that would have been there the same age I was. And, and I just felt compelled to speak as an adult and, and I just spoke as if they were there. And I, I just said, I really want to honor you in how I live out my life. You know, and I, I was really emotional when I was, when I was saying that too. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really know what that meant, like what's, how it is going to unfold in the future. And then, and then after that, I was compelled to write this song about the unmarked graves. The first two verses I, I wrote of what the children might have gone through just before they died. You know, they might have died with tuberculosis or I don't know how they died, but they died in the schools. And I was thinking the fear that must have been there knowing that they were going to die and not having their mom and dad there. Because you know what that was like to be away. Yeah. In fact, the first time I experienced death was in residential school. Like I remember my supervisor coming and crying as he was going through the our dorm and I felt like somebody died, you know. And right away I went to the washroom and I just sat there all by myself and I was just so overwhelmed. I was thinking, what if my parents die while I'm here? You know, like I just didn't like the thought of living life without my mom and dad. And I remember thinking, I hope I die first, you know, because I wouldn't want to go through that pain. So it it was overwhelming. And so as I thought about these children, the things that they might have gone through, you know, being afraid, being alone, being away from home. And then I wanted to close with some hope. And so my thoughts went to the word where talks about Cain killing his brother. God says to uh, Cain, what have you done? He killed his brother Abel. And he says, am I my brother's keeper? And God says, the blood of your brother cries out from the ground to me. And I thought of the children's blood crying out from the ground. And then my thoughts went to the New Testament where it talks about the blood of Abel. And then it talks about the blood of Jesus. And it talks about the blood of Jesus uh, speaking of a better way, you know, and what is that better way of Christ? And it just seems to be about forgiveness and, and about mercy and, and about hope, you know, about the power of the blood And I think if we really process history in light of the cross, in light of what Jesus has done, I think we will let down our guard and and, and we'll we'll find that there's hope there and there's life there. These aren't just words that you're saying because you're living that out. You and Karen and your family, you live this out daily. You've chosen to forgive. You've chosen to live this out daily. And I don't think we would have the friendship that we have if you weren't able to forgive. My question, my curiosity would be, as you grew up from that four-and-a-half-year-old boy who had that first memory of white Jesus and all the white people on the top, till now, as you've learned about residential schools and what actually happened and the history on these lands, with the injustices that have happened to your people and to the many First Nations people on these lands and the Métis people, the Inuit, You have grown up generations after generations on Turtle Island. Settlers came and you personally were affected. 
but also all your people, the people that you're pastoring, the people that you're you're working with, you're you're doing a lot of reconciliation, but how do you come to terms with that? What was that process like for you? The idea of coming to terms maybe is not a good way of thinking of it. It almost seems like I'm still living it, like I'm still processing it, you know, and I'm still on a journey. And sometimes there's a lot of anger that's still there. I would think so. Yeah. 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 And sometimes like there's a lot of questioning of God too. You know, why did this happen to us? And so there's just grieving too. And, you know, even a sense of feeling lost in it. So it just it just comes and goes kind of thing. Yeah. But the huge thing that, that is happening in it is that there's this sense of um, there's hope, hope in God. Because there's no use talking about it if, if there's no hope, you know, if there's no sense of a, a brighter day coming, you know, and, and there is that in the scriptures. There's, there's a brighter day coming. And even in the midst of darkness, you know, in the midst of chaos, uh, there's this call to to trust God and that he, he's working in all things for good. And so there's this hope and there's this idea too that all the things that happen matter to God. So in talking about them, there's something in it that we're not just talking about it to make people feel guilty or, you know, or to talk down to people or to hurt people, but there's something in it that as we talk about those things that, that we're trying to bring uh, reconciliation, that we're trying to bring unity. The way that I think of it is like, we're trying to break forth the kingdom of God. Yes. You know, that the kingdom of God would be present in this world. And the idea of that happening is the reconciliation that happens. And I, I think that there's something very powerful about acknowledging the pain and about tears being in that. And also to uh, people coming together and saying, will you forgive me or forgive my people? And a person saying, I forgive, you know, I forgive. Not not just superficial, but in, in light of all that's happened, I choose to forgive. So, for example, not superficial would look like what day to day? Oh, man. I guess it's just the hearing of stories, just the embracing of each other, just building friendships, close friendships. I have close friends that are Caucasian, you know, and, and very close friends that are Caucasian. And I work with people that are Caucasian. They're very encouraging. And I think that we acknowledge the history and we talk about it and we work through it together. So And you go golfing. <laughs> I go golfing. You go golfing with them. Too. Play hockey. Yeah, 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 spend time. Spend time with them. I think that's huge. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. Just enjoying being around each other. Yeah. No, I appreciate you you sharing that. I'm just sitting across from you as that Caucasian, that white person across the table from you, and knowing that there's a lot of uh settlers listening to this episode that are leaning in, like you said, and that's part of your ministries, speaking in churches, Indigenous and non-Indigenous churches, sort of leading a hopeful message forward. I, I guess I wonder what that message of hope could look like for me to walk well with integrity with you and other Indigenous brothers and sisters I like the fact that you mentioned that it's not happy clappy. I, I've come to terms with. Thank you for that correction. Mm. Uh, that you're you're still working through. Mm. I feel the injustice, though, is that as I sit across from you, and as other people listen into you, they have a choice whether to engage or disengage. Because if that's not their residential school experience. It's almost like we can opt out, not that we should. Yeah. What is that message of hope or that challenge or encouragement you could give us to stay in the game, not to be afraid of these conversations, not to be afraid to engage in relationships 
with hard history, difficult things that would be easier to avoid? You have to be comfortable in your own skin. And I think that whether you're Caucasian or, or indigenous, as you process things with God, I think there's a peace that comes. There's, mm-hmm. there's a joy that comes, even a lifting of a burden that comes as, as we process things with God. But people are in different places in, in their journey. And some, some people are not where you're at, you know, or, or others are at. And sometimes some people are, are just kind of intimidated by it. Like I heard people say, well, well, let's just get over it, you know, like just let's get over it already. Ouch. <laughs> you, know? you know, so that's, that's, that's hard to work with. But it just seems like, well, I shouldn't be intimidated by a person that, that speaks that way. I think some of it has to do with maybe they have a hard time with just accepting that the fact that our people did this to these people. But yet the Lord loves us all. And there's something about it where if we can just uh, let down our garden and really see the power of God's love and God's mercy and, and God's desire to receive us, like no matter what, you know, no matter what, what side we're on, God desires each one of us. And I think if we could come to God in that way and process these things with God, I think there, there'll come a point where we just kind of really are comfortable with where we're at and not really feel like uh, we, we have to put our guard up when we're encountering people that are in different places. Well, and the more that I engage with people through Care Impact, reconciliation is a high value for us. We want to see reconciliation happen. I do hear that rhetoric in various forms, but that phrase that you just said, (sighs) getting over it, comes at a very painful cost. And One of the things that I think, and I'd love to hear what you would have in response, is the reason we can't just get over it is because reconciliation is needed for your people, but it's also needed for mine. We all need reconciliation because it's not just a here-on-earth political movement or a paper we sign or a thing that we do on the stage. That's virtual signaling. Some of those things are necessary. But the reason we can't just get over it is because the pain is still there. Mm-hmm. The effects are still there. It's when somebody in my community is hurting, it affects us all. Some of us are more vulnerable and affects people greater. But God has called us to go into those places of hurt and be agents of reconciliation. And I don't think God gives us permission to get over what he's wanting to bring healing to. Yeah, and, and that's very powerful Like what you're just saying, like, it just kind of brings me to, you know, just the foundation for reconciliation. Like, it just seems to me like in the Word of God, the foundation for reconciliation needs to be God. You know, when Adam and Eve sinned, the sin estranged them from God. You know, you were talking about being estranged from yeah, God. Yeah, sin is the estranger. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it estranged them from But then there was this longing in the heart of God to bring back what was lost. That's what I feel like it's talking about when it says, for God so loved the world. It, yeah. it just seems like there was something there that he enjoyed that was part of his relationship with humanity that he missed, and he, he longed for that to come back again. And he, he did whatever it took to make that a reality. And so he sends Jesus to come and die for us so that we can be uh, reconciled to him. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, it says in the Word of God. So this idea of reconciliation, you know, its foundation needs to be God. And also there's something very powerful about this connection to God. And I really feel dignity is a part of that too. Mm-hmm. And, and we all have a, a sense of dignity. And, and sometimes I think our sense of dignity kind of pushes us away from, from the truth because maybe there's this shame that we don't want to acknowledge 
you know, and so we kind of want to push away truth or things that will bring us back to the way that we were created to be. Right. And I think that if, if there's something there that, that we could really see that God loves us and that God desires to rekindle that, that dignity in our hearts and all these things are a part of it, I don't think we should be threatened by them. Right. Although it's hard to say it that way, but I think we should, we, it'll cause us to move into those things. As you've been on this journey of healing, how have you been finding your own dignity, that Imago Dei you created in the image of Christ? How has that been restored over these years? I don't know. Like one of the powerful things like is not so much the hurts. The hurts have been a huge part of it. God ministering to me in my in my hurts in my life, my pain, that he, you know, he he feels those. A part of that too is God brings other people that acknowledge it and feel it with me. There's a healing that happens there in my heart through people. God comes to me through people, you know? And then, but then the other thing that I've been processing lately was uh, my sins. And I think that's a, that's a huge thing. My sins, there's nothing that overwhelmed me more than my sins. You know, even though the pain has been hard, you know, the impact residential schools, I think the thing that impacted me more in my life was my sins. So did that estrange you from your own identity? Oh yeah. Like, it's just like, I, I just didn't feel I could be forgiven. Even, you know, over and over again, I'm bringing the same things to God and say to forgive me. And I'm trying to cover them too. I'm trying to make myself look good on the outside, do good things to kind of make God love me, you know, or not simply to just accept that God can forgive me. And I didn't have to do anything, you know, to try and appease him. There was something that happened to me where I kind of felt like, if you don't think that God can forgive you, you must think your sin is bigger than God. Then I realized that, hey, you know what? Uh, God forgives me and he receives me. And it helped me find peace. Well, and it's very empowering, that message too, and in a sense where that estrangement you're saying isn't just external, that happened to you, that was awful, that was unjust, that should have never happened. But that doesn't have the only grip. You can actually do something with the internal estrangement that you're feeling, and God is bigger than that. Yeah, yeah. And he can draw you to himself and create within you a belonging and bring you forward. Yeah, for sure. And also, too, I think there's something about it, the sense of God's love, your identity is impacted by how God sees you. Because when you receive God, it says you become a child of God. So you, you belong to God. And there's something about that that warmth that really, I think it does something to you where you, you kind of say, I want Wendy to experience this too. Mm-hmm. you know, or, or your neighbor. I want them to experience this too. And I want to do whatever it takes for them to experience that. I think that that it comes from God as the foundation. To awaken to their authentic identity, who God created them to be. Yeah, yeah. And it, it seems like it comes through you being awakened to your own, your own relationship with God. And, and so that's, I think that's what is really needing to happen here. Uh, maybe something about like, it happens one person at a time. If, if I'm really in tune with, with who I am before God, I think it'll come through me, it'll show through me, and, and others will be drawn to it. That's a huge thing about reconciliation, I guess you would say, one person at a time, or one relationship at a time. Well, I'm also interested to hear about your cross-cultural experience within the big church, all denominations. You speak in different contexts, both Indigenous and non-Indigenous I would be interested to learn more about ways that you see hope for unity amongst our diversity, like true unity, where you feel belonging 
in the greater church and maybe some of the challenges you've experienced across denominations in different cultural contexts of where maybe you have some concerns as a leader within your denomination. Yeah, you know, I do see like people just coming and I don't know what to do with it, but they'll just, Caucasian person will just say, you know, I already feel bad about what happened. Like, and I, I, can you forgive me, you know, for what has happened? And I could just forgive. I feel it's, it's good to, to forgive on a personal level and, and even to speak into those things on a personal level too. So I think that that's good. Uh, I feel like that's why it's important to kind of talk about it in, in the places that I, that I go to. But sometimes I, I hear people say things, you know, the message doesn't seem to be getting through, like get over it. I, I can't remember some of the other things, but sometimes I hear people say things in a way that's, um, you know, I've spoken, so they're giving me some feedback and, and sometimes I feel like I just didn't get through in the one-on-one conversation. Mm-hmm. So, Like people aren't hearing. Yeah, people aren't hearing what you're saying. There's things that happen, you know, I don't want to be kind of specific on, on some of the things that happen, but you kind of feel like people are, are still not hearing what you're saying. And I wonder too, Pastor Howard, you have a pastoral heart. Yeah. And there's probably more on your heart than just the topics of reconciliation that people put you to. There's a there's a, a father's heart message through all you do as well. So there may be some preconceived notions of what they should talk about around you or invite you to speak out. And yet you read it cover to cover, <laughs> the word of God. Yeah. I, I wonder a lot of what happens within the church is we expect you to bring the message of reconciliation without the rest of us doing the work and understanding the history and carrying some of that burden to do some of the learning as well. So if we're not doing that work, how can we really listen to what you're saying? Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, like that's that's the thing that I kind of feel sometimes it's just when I talk about dignity too, um, there's there's something there as you're processing somebody's story. Well, I believe there's something within your dignity where you'll know how to respond to that. You know, so it's not like, you know, what should we do? I think there's something in each one of us where uh, we can figure it out. And I don't think we should feel like all the answers need to come from the Indigenous community. Right. Where you process it and you you, you decide what is the thing to do. Yeah. Or that the settlers have to now fix it rather than be present in and listen yeah. and walk together with some difficult things that sometimes we just need to be friends more than finding solutions. And in that is the solution of being friends. So when we're talking about the estranged Indigenous experience, there's several themes that have emerged out of our conversation. One is that historical displacement. We've talked about residential schools. We also know many people that were caught up in the 60s scoop. We're also aware that there is an overrepresentation of families who have been estranged historically. Their families were ripped apart, who are now feeling the effects through foster care because there, there has been that disruption and that repair is hard to come by. So we have to acknowledge that historical displacement when we're talking about the estranged Indigenous experience and also cultural genocide. We've talked about, a bit about that. It's a strong word, but it, it really does embody what has happened across our nation that we can't just get over it. We're, we're talking about the estranging the individual, the family, 
whole communities from their own cultural identity where language was taken or their values or music, anything uh, representing Indigenous culture was considered less than or, or worse, demonic, and really diminished. And so that would all be considered cultural genocide that I believe God is now bringing back into dignity, that God has created people in his image with culture and beautiful things in it. We could also talk about systemic injustices, sort of alluded to it in the foster care system, but also there's in the justice system, the correctional justice system, in, in poverty, overrepresentation, all stemming back to some historical issues and things that are inviting us towards reconciliation. And then lastly, the other estrangement that we we have talked about is in, within the faith community. Sometimes we estrange each other because we're not able to to talk about that or listen to those things. I just have such a hard time knowing how to process uh, systemic racism. It almost seems like there's things that happened where dehumanizing of our people, you know, happened over time, you know, just to take in a way like of language, you know, and of clothing, you know, and just being, you know, made to dress like Europeans. I think there's there's, there's a lot of stuff that, that happens in that too, like, you know, the justifying of the taking over of land in a way too. Is, there's some of it, there, there's treaties involved. I like this book called The Imaginary Indian, you know, it's just like, he's a wooden Indian, you know. Elijah was a wooden Indian standing by the door. It just seems like he doesn't have a brain. He, he doesn't have a heart. You know, it's just like he's, he's just a, a mannequin or, you know, and just the kind of that whole idea of of just dehumanizing. Kind of the whole idea of terra nullius, of like, this is settler's land. If they, they see it, they claim it as if you were flora and fauna. Yeah, for sure. Like, it's just, that's a huge thing. That still lives on. Oh, man. <laughs> it's just like the doctrine of discovery. You know, like that's one of the things that, that is in the 94 calls to action to, to do away with that and, and to say that that's not a, a truth, you know. Right. So, so those things like connected to, to that and, and, and just the impact of, of all that, like yeah. over time, like and how long is our healing going to take? You know, our people will say it, it goes up to the seventh generation. That's one of the, one of the things that they say, like healing will take about seven generations. And when you think of the impact of things, I think we're seeing some good in our time. I feel like I'm seeing some good in my time. And, and I see good happening in my children. Mm. And so there's, there's probably a, a good thing that is happening within all this uh, working of, uh, and talking about reconciliation. I feel like there's still a lot, lot that needs to happen still. And there's a lot of time that's needed too. We're not there yet. It's, yeah. It is a journey. And I encourage our listeners to go back to an earlier episode in this same series where I interviewed Lynn Dick as a settled stranger. And we talk about the, those 94 calls to action and, and the calling on the church. Mm -hmm. And it, it is a challenging thing for me even to read out. Yeah. was challenging for me to grapple with. Wow, we have a long way to go to create authentic relationships and a way forward. I, I don't live without hope. Yeah. You give me hope. We're sitting here having coffee. This is reconciliation, as well as all the coffees that we have with our, our brothers and sisters. However, we would be ignorant if we didn't bring awareness to the fact there's a long way to go. 
yeah. for the church to rise up and to be good neighbors within each other, within the body of Christ, let alone our neighbors who are in need or our neighbors who just, we need to create belonging for each other across the cultures. There's things that, that happen that, that I feel like there's still like a sense that you're talked down to. You know, I, I still feel that without being uh, very specific in things like, and, and I think that we need to get to the point, like you say, like where we're equals, you know? And I, I think that there's a healthy way of doing that. Yeah. Of treating each other as equals. And so even for the, the Caucasian community, I always kind of say, well, you know what? Like we need to really see that God loves us all the same, no matter where we're at, like in, in our lives, like God desires desires all of us you know and, all nations yeah for all sure tribes and tongues yeah yeah and at the foot of the cross that is an equalizer yeah for sure I we know. are made in the image of god and it's a good thing he didn't create cookie cutters right <laughs> yeah that would be boring <laughs> and i'm grateful for the diversity that we can celebrate you know there's a lot of negative things in, in all of our our cultures and there's but there's good things in all of our cultures too, and we need to celebrate those things, you know. And part of celebrating them, I think, is me celebrating the good things that are in in the different cultures, you know, and and other people uh, celebrating with me what is in my culture. I, I just love what it says in, in the Book of Revelations, you know, that in the end, you know, when everything comes to fruition or well, culmination, like in in the kingdom of God, where we're in the day of the Lord, you know, and Jesus is is reigning and and the kingdom of God is there, it says the nations will bring their glory, you know, into the kingdom. And their glory, like, is connected to their ethnicity, what is very distinctly their culture or their color. I really see that our differences are, are things that we need to celebrate. And that is beautiful. And God doesn't just wait for the end, for culmination to bring. He's inviting us to invite the kingdom to come. And his prayer is, thy kingdom come. Yeah on earth as it is in heaven. And what a powerful thing. And I'm wondering, is is there one piece of advice you can give our listeners, ways they can bring that kingdom come in how they relate to their neighbors, particularly indigenous people around them? We all have people around us who are indigenous, who are feeling estranged. Is there a piece of advice that we can do, not so much do, but be? Yeah, be and, and I think there's a huge thing in just being like comfortable in in who you are and and just I guess enjoying who you are like uh, before God and and really seeing that you uh, He knit you together in, in your mother's womb and He didn't make mistake in, in making you who you are and and just knowing His His unconditional love for you. Like and also too, like how he's he's made you become a part of, of his family through Christ, and and all other people are part of that family, and, and also too, you don't have to be any better than another person, but you can really be comfortable with uh, who you are before God and who made you, who God made you to Embrace be. Embrace the skin you're in. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and also the gifts that you yeah. have too. Like sometimes we we feel like when people are are more out in the open with, with their gifts uh, that they must have more value than you. But that's, that's not how it is with God. Like we all have value and all, all have different gifts and, and God sees us uh, all the same. And I think if, if we can be comfortable in that within ourselves, we won't be intimidated by others and, and we'll, we'll desire to be in a relationship with them. Yeah. 
it really ties in well with one of our earlier episodes in this series where we were talking about love-based or fear-based responses to our neighbors. And perfect love casts out all fear. And because fear will keep us from taking those risks, fear will keep us from trying, or fear will keep us from learning and, and being curious about. Uh, but love, which comes from God, will actually allow us to understand who we are in Christ and feel that security in Christ and make take those chances. Well, thank you, Howard Jolly, for taking the time to come on this episode for sharing vulnerably your story and some honest conversations here. I've been so enriched and I'm sure everybody else has as well. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. I've listened to your podcast, you know, and I just I just love the way that, that you interact with your guests. So oh, I, thought, this is I, I think fun. It'll, be, it'll be easy. So, I, <laughs> so thank you for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. And I hope you come back. Thank you for joining another conversation on Journey with Care. We're here to inspire curious Canadians on their path of faith and living life with purpose in community. Journey with Care is an initiative of Care Impact, a Canadian charity dedicated to connecting and equipping the whole church to journey well in community. Visit our website at journeywithcare.ca to connect with Care Impact, find the latest updates on our weekly episodes, details about our upcoming events, meetups, and information about our incredible guests. You can also leave us a voice message, share your thoughts, and connect with like-minded individuals who are on their own journeys of faith and purpose. And thank you for sharing this podcast with your friends. Together we can explore ways to journey in a good way. And always remember to stay curious. 